All right, guys, find a seat. That's awesome. So good of you to be here. Welcome. We're just so thrilled, of course, on this Sunday evening. And we've just committed, like we said from the beginning, we're just going to commit this summer just to take some time together. We know that this is typically with the the school year ending, uh, a busy weekend for people, but you're here. So well done. It's so good to see you, and I'm, I'm excited about tonight, just a, f- a few minutes together. And then in a couple minutes, we'll come to the table and uh, just end our evening that way. Are you doing okay? Everybody all right? Summer is here, which is beautiful, and there, it just seems like there is light at the end of the tunnel, which is just beautiful. And so we're really hoping that as we continue to move forward, that this will become more normal and more people will join in as we continue to regather. Um, let's do this. Let's talk about prophecy. All right? Sound good? We're in this series right now. We kind of stumbled into a series. We did not know what was happening because of lockdowns and all sorts of stuff. We did, really didn't know what was happening um, post-Easter. And so we started to do some one-off series. And then at Pentecost, I thought, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And it's morphed into this a kind of longer series where we've talked about all sorts of stuff surrounding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, which has been fun. And last week, we talked about tongues. So if you're, I know a few people were visiting last week. Welcome. This is not something we talk about every week, but it was just fascinating just to come around Paul's kind of instruction to the church in Corinth and how we're to live this out. But in 1 Corinthians 14, and I said last week, We're not talking about this stuff because I'm just like bored, (laughs) right? There's people over the last, I'd say, year to two years have really asked about the Holy Spirit, but as well about spiritual gifts. So we've drilled down if you've missed anything, and there's been a lot of questions around this thing called tongues and prophecy. So if you missed last week, we took some time, talked about tongues. Now what we're going to do is we're going to revisit Paul's, the same passage, and we're going to look because basically Paul says it's better for you to prophesy within the church than to speak in tongues in the public gathering. And you're like, nobody at Praxis Church is beating down the doors to speak in tongues. You with me? But it's important just to talk about what, what this meant for the first century church and then as well what it means for us. Because if you follow Jesus and you're breathing, the Holy Spirit is actually an, impor- an important integral part of our journey. I, I know I'm a broken record, and I know, they're, I know they're not here tonight, but I know there's some sweet dudes with beards in our, in our church. Um, but I have never seen, I've always seen those guys walking around. I've never seen Jesus of Nazareth in flesh and blood. Anybody? Anybody see? Can you introduce me to him if you see him ever? Of course, Jesus is not here in flesh and blood. Yet, I was thinking today, just this morning, like on mud-hop floors and in houses and in massive cathedrals, in warehouses that have been converted into churches, in, you know, average church-looking buildings in London, Ontario, there are people all over the world experiencing Jesus because of the Spirit. And here's what we often do, especially a lot of Protestant communities, we're just like big holy, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Bible is how I say it. Father, Son, we know who Jesus is, we're Jesus-centered people, but a lot of times we don't talk about the Holy Spirit, and so that's what we're doing. Sound good? If you want, here's what I'm going to do. We are not going to read as much text this week as we did last week. Um, last week, we like legit walked through basically the entire chapter. What I want to do is just read the top again of 1 Corinthians 14, just to remind you, and then what I want to do, then what I want to do is take a few minutes and talk about prophets in the Old Testament, prophets and apostles in the New Testament, and then what was prophecy within the church? 
because I don't know if you grew up in the world that I grew up in, prophecy for people was fortune telling, anybody need therapy like I do, and telling, you know, giving examples of when stuff is going to happen, and I don't know if you grew up like me, I grew up in the era of a charts with laser pointers. Yes, we had a dude come to our church and he'd come with charts and laser pointers telling us when Jesus was going to return. And I think the year's already passed anyway, so it's, it's all good. Uh, that was funny. Come on, that was funny. Here we are, 2021, still waiting. Um, we believe Jesus is going to return, but a lot of people have this idea around prophecy as kind of the future, and we think of like the book series Left Behind. And is that what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14? I'm going to sit down because it's chill. We're chill. Sound good? This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, follow, and fascinating how he opens up, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And then he says, especially prophecy, that there's an eagerness to this pneumaticos, it's called. Now, we use the word spiritual gifts. Probably the better translation or vision of spiritual gifts for Paul is spirit stuff. That's why we're calling this spirit stuff. It's because Paul's like, you need to eagerly desire this within the church, but if anything, you're going to desire of the gifts of the Spirit, which we call in English, go after prophecy. Now, what does this mean, brothers and sisters? In the Old Testament, we have a, a little bit of a different picture than what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 14 when he's talking about prophecy, okay? So the main function of a prophet in the Old Testament was to be a messenger from messenger, messenger from God, sent to speak to men and women with words from God. And as you know, if you read through the scriptures, this was an exclusive group of people where the Spirit, where God's Spirit came on, and they prophesied to the people. It was not for everybody. It was not, it was not just random people within the community of Israel. It was messengers from God. And often, obviously, prophets were these kind of special messengers. They were messengers of the covenant, this covenant with Abraham. One of the things you'll notice if you just read through the, the prophets in the Old Testament is they're continually basically telling Israel they've failed and that they need to turn back to God. Over and over, God raises up individuals, people that come to the community and say, all right, come back. We've messed this up over and over. So prophets in the Old Testament spoke and, and you see this because we actually have their word, the majority of their words in our Bible. Most of the prophets spoke with the authority of the one who sent them. All of them walked in that type of authority. And so the picture you get is that to, to disobey or disbelieve a prophet's words in the Old Testament was literally to disobey God. It was hand in hand. These were the messengers that came to the people on behalf of God, and ultimately what they did is they spoke with divine authority. And as, as you know, many of the words of God, the, the prophets of old that God spoke through them in the Old Testament now are, they're not lost. They're actually within the canon and is something that we even come back to a couple millennia later. Their words, the authority and the divine authority that was connected to the, their message is now in the scriptures for us and is something that continually called Israel back. And so these things have been pre preserved into the, the pages of the Old Testament. You hang in with me. Does that make sense? Prophets had a very distinct, it was not everybody in the community. You, you get the sense of language in Paul. Paul wants everybody in the church to prophesy. And then you go back to the Old Testament, you're like, that is not, doesn't, seems like there's a disconnect. There is a little bit. There was this kind of special role with the prophets in the Old Testament. But, but, there was a longing 
and looking ahead from God's prophets in the Old Testament that there would be a day that anybody who followed God, there would be widespread prophesying all over the place. There was a vision. I mean, you, you see this in Moses. In Numbers 11, Moses says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. Moses had this vision as this, kind of this first prophet that we see in the scriptures. That He, even millennia ago, is longing for a community that would all prophesy. That's like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, it's amazing that even that far back. Then, as you know, infamously, Joel, the prophet Joel, had this prophetic vision that the Spirit would come and come to God's people and all people would receive this Spirit and all, on all, it would be poured out on all flesh and prophet, prophecy would not just be for a few people like in the Old Testament, but it would be for all God's people. Listen to what he says. He, he says this way, way before the New Testament. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So this vision of sons and daughters prophesying. Your old men uh, shall have dreams, dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even upon the men servants and maid servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. So one of the things we get from Pentecost, it's like the changing of epochs. This beautiful picture that even the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament prophets longed that the Spirit wouldn't just move on a person here or a person there, but that this radical vision, God's vision, is that everybody would be drawn in to prophesy. You're like, me? Maybe. Let's, we'll get there in a second. So the new covenant that Jesus ushers in was expected to be an age where all God's people would be able to prophesy. So you have the Old Testament, the role of a prophet. You have this longing within Joel for this day in which the Spirit would come. And then Pentecost happens. And if you know what Pentecost in Acts 2, we read this story where the Spirit comes on the church and basically what Joel says and prophesies years earlier happens. And Peter even gets up and begins to speak the gospel and as we talked last week, it's very, very unique, but the community is actually filled with the Spirit so much that they're speaking in other languages, but it's not just like for gib it's not just gibberish. They're speaking the language of all the people that have descended on Jerusalem for Pentecost, this massive festival and party, and people are hearing the good news in their own language. Like there's actually purpose to it. There's God's moving and working within the community and people are hearing and responding and Peter gets up and says, here we are. This is what God has promised. The Spirit has come on the church. And one of the things they're doing, again, is speaking the language of the different cultures that had descended on Jerusalem. Um, I, I love this picture and vision of the church. This is a guy named Roger Stronstad. He's like an old dude, old um, theologian. He puts it like this. The promise of Pentecost compel us to conclude it is vocational. That is, it baptizes and empowers the company or community of God's people to witness as prophets about the arrival of the Messiah and the new age which his arrival has inaugurated. And Stronstad would go on to say that what happened at Pentecost is it enabled the church to be what he would call the prophethood of all believers. Love that. If you, if you know, in the, New, uh, the Old Testament, in, in Exodus and Leviticus, one of the things Israel is called is they're called the priesthood of all believers. That there was this vision for Israel to actually be this bridge to the world around them. Now, how good did they do with that? Just read the Old Testament. They had their moments, but for the most part, not so good. 
And yet there's this vision to, for them to be priests and to be bridge builders to the world. Now what Stronset is saying is that Pentecost brings on for the church now in our moment that we are the prophethood of all believers. That more than any, and that, don't, don't let that freak you out. Like I've left, again, I've left my flags at home. It's not gonna get crazy in here, don't worry. Some of you are like starting to sweat under your arms and it's more than just like the humidity outside. Um, there is this vision though that the church would be proclaimers. We would be speakers of this good news. One of the pictures we get is that we actually, and I've done a ton of work and we've talked a lot about this, that one of the roles that the Spirit, as it works in the church, is the church is this place that gives a kind of counter narrative to the way in which the world is living. This is what happened at Pentecost. Peter gets up and brings an explanation. They, the people on the outside thought these people in this upper room were drunk at like nine in the morning. And you're like, maybe at my school or whatever. Yeah, in our city maybe sometimes. But like this festival, he's like, no, they're not drunk. This is the work of the Spirit and what's happening within the church. So it's so important, I think, for all of us to catch that there is a prophetic kind of movement within the church. And it's not that, I've, you've heard this four or five weeks in a row. I'm just on, um, I'm out to reclaim that this stuff is not spooky and out there. And I know some of you, you're just, and I get it, there's tra even traumas with this. Maybe you're dealing through your past and you've been in environments that kind of have taken the idea of the Holy Spirit and turned it into a sideshow. Brothers and sisters, I am there with you. I am totally, I get it. But at its simplest, the work of the Spirit in the church gets them to tell the story of God. It's amazing. Now, in the New Testament, there is at times a model of the Spirit coming on certain people. So it happens very, it's very few times throughout the New Testament is there are people that speak with absolute divine authority like the prophets of old. It happens a few times. And th there is a group that speaks with divine authority. And those were the people that actually wrote the books of the New Testament, which we know as apostles. Now, there's this guy named Wayne Grudem who's been super helpful because prophecy for a lot of us is muddy. He's done a great job at talking about how probably the best image we get in the New Testament of Old Testament prophets is the, the apostles. And he says that these people are actually not, like the Apostle Paul, for example, is not named the prophet Paul because there was certain connotation, both in the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish community around prophets, that the better language was apostle for these folks. So they're not called prophets in the New Testament, but apostles, and are very similar in function as far as them writing scripture. So Paul, we know, wrote tons of New Testament scripture. He wrote or spoke with absolute divine authority. So both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament pro uh, apostles were, and th this is the, the connection point, is both of those people were sent as messengers and both of them wrote scripture. So Old Testament prophets sent as messengers to the people, wrote scripture. There were some, some apostles during the age of the apostles who knew Jesus and we know Paul had you know, this encounter with Jesus. These apostles in the first century in many ways carried some of those same attributes. But here's the thing, what we have in Corinth, what we've been reading about the last couple weeks, is a whole community of people prophesying, and they are not considered, every one of them in the community is not considered apostles. So the question, brothers and sisters, is what gives? Like, how do we, how do we understand this? How do we, if there's Old Testament prophets 
who speak divine authority, absolute divine authority. There seems to be some apostles that knew and were close to Jesus who seem to have this type of divine authority in their writing, and now we have it in our canon. What do we do with the average folk like us? Anybody got questions about that? Like what should, if Paul is telling the church, you should be prophesying, what the heck does that mean? Anybody with me? Okay, I'm the only one. I, well, at least I had an enjoyable week putting this together. Okay. Here's the thing. The picture we get in Corinth is that there were people in the community who were accepted and a part of the community and congregation there who would take turns prophesying. And if you read in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, as it indicates, the whole congregation would actually listen to their prophecy, this word or prompting that they would bring to the church, and they would actually, the community would listen and evaluate what's being prophesied. So some of these prophecies that would come to the community, they would actually be discussed publicly. This is what would happen. Somebody would come with a word or prompting to the community. You gotta remember, they are typically, I did tons of work in seminary on the church in Corinth. It was in a home around a meal. So it was very collective and community with each other. Somebody with, would come who was well-respected in the community, tied to the community. They would have a word or prompting from God. They would put it out there and the community would listen and evaluate and discuss it. Which actually shows us that's what, what is being practiced in the local churches in the New Testament. And when it comes to Corinth, it shows us that prophecy was actually not a message of absolute divine authority like the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. How do we know that? We know that because as people would bring these prophecies, they had the ability in the church to be challenged or questioned, which would make them not messages of absolute divine authority because God's word would not be questioned. If it was absolute authority, would there be an environment to kind of discuss it as far as whether it's true or not? No. If it was divine authority, like what the apostles held and the, the, the message and the writing that they brought, if it was like that, it would just be over. It would just, this is, this is what it is. In the church in Corinth, we know that people were practicing this and it's not like what you see in the Old Testament. So the question is, what is prophecy in the New Testament church? Wayne Grudem, great scholar, again, has been super helpful because I have found very few credible reasons. So we have 1 Corinthians 14 in our Bibles, and there's, I shouldn't say there's very few credible people, but I feel like there's very few down-to-earth 21st century instruction for us, I feel like, in helping us kind of grapple with this. He says this, I've kind of paraphrased it. Prophecy in the church seems to be, one, the revelation that comes spontaneously from God, to an individual, too, that gives insight, right? From God's perspective and is recognizable to the one that's speaking. So prophecy is a revelation that comes, comes to somebody in the community spontaneously from God to an individual that comes with it and gives insight from God's perspective and is recognizable to the one that is speaking. This is what it is, pretty simple. A prompting from God that's shared with the community, that's intelligible. This is why Paul's pretty hard on, like, don't speak in tongues in the community unless it's interpreted because what we want is intelligence and we want good order within the community. And it's just gotta be recognizable to the one that's speaking. And so really, there's really two factors in prophecy. It's a revelation from the Holy Spirit 
And we believe here that the Holy Spirit speaks. We have the scriptures. It should never counter the scriptures. Paul is very clear in, in that chapter about not going beyond scripture. So it's got to sync up with the scripture, but a revelation from the Holy Spirit, and it's a public report of that revelation to the community. You're like, this is, that's not rocket science. That, this is why I became a pastor. It is not rocket science, okay? It's pretty simple. And so one of the things we see is that in Corinth, people were practicing this, and they would come in the community, and it would be tested. And it wasn't absolute truth in the sense of somebody could come, and they would work through it and wrestle through it. It wasn't like it was the prophets of old in the Old Testament bringing a divine word from God. It's, a, it's different. It's a prompting. It's something that comes and is brought to the community to build the community up. So all I'll say is this. We're open to this stuff, just like the church in Corinth, in a very controlled, in a very intelligent, and I think in a very thoughtful way. Um, we actually hope and desire that if you know, God is speaking, that you'd bring it to the community. We want this type of thing for my life. I don't know about you. I want this to be cultivated in my mind and my imagination. And oftentimes it's through promptings, as I've said. Sometimes it's through dreams and visions and having a vision or uh, many of you have probably experienced dreams or prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is very clear in the same chapter that this is what prophecy does. It builds the church up, it encourages the community, and ultimately it brings comfort to the community. This is what it does. If it doesn't do those things, then don't bring it. Now, that doesn't mean that there's certain prophetic words or certain things that come into the community that's brought to the community's attention that isn't hard or challenging or convicting. That's different. Sometimes that happens. A lot of times that happens. But I've told you stories of my own childhood and my own experiences. I've had lots of things said to me um, <laughs> that just weren't true and that honestly should have, were put to the test. And a lot of them didn't build myself or the church or my family up, nor did it encourage us. So it's so important here to keep this before us that Paul is like, yo, do this out of love. But we want to create a place and space for this. We're not weird. We're not out there. We're just these people that walk with God and believe the Spirit speaks, and that can coexist with the Scriptures and what they lead us to. And one thing that prophecy, in the best sense, does for the church is it, it oftentimes brings words to the community that are specific for us. It's a word brought to the church. So prophecy in the early churches uh, rarely held divine obligation, or rarely, when we talk about Corinth, it was a lot less of thus says the Lord, because I think that can be dangerous. We, we have the prophets that have done, the apostles that have done that for us, and we have the scriptures that lead us. But it was a word, and words brought to the church, and was something that could lead them and guide them and bring to light for them in the moment in which they were living. So I know you're just sitting on the edge of your seat. Are you sweating like I am? I'm just, no? Okay, it's hotter up here. I've just got a little sweat going. It's okay. It's all good. So what do, how, how do we do this here? Before we come to the table, how do we do this here? All I know from my own experience is this, that my best prophetic work has always been done in smaller community. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be done here and like, uh, and obviously with regathering and everything, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're massive, but 
It's interesting in the Sunday gathering. We are open to this. But, uh, man, more and more I see that the best prophetic work is often done in smaller communities. One of the things we, we really are going to be put, pushing or inviting you into in the fall is practice communities because that's really a place and space where you can use these types of things. Smaller community is best because here's the thing. It can, what can happen when it's done in small community? If you have a word from God and you want to share it, you feel prompted to share it, when you're in a smaller community of people, what happens is it can be reported and then it can be challenged and questioned if need be. And I'll just say, we should all be open to that. Like if I, um, I this happens with me once in a while, I would want if it's a little off or it was um, what I have last night, like a, I almost ate an entire spicy pierogi pizza at Boston Pizza on my own. If, it's, if, if that is the one speaking through me, I want people to let me know. And so one of the, it's not, we're not just like bored so in the fall we're gonna like do one Sunday a month in homes and practice communities throughout the city. We want to cultivate this stuff really, really beautifully and really, really well. So smaller community is best. But I would just say this. When it comes to prophecy here, let, my hope is we can just make this awfully normal. And one of the best ways is if you have a prompting or a word to bring to the community, just bring it to our leaders and we will discern it together. And we've done this over time. We haven't done it a lot, but there's room here if you sense God speaking and saying something, to come to the leader's leadership team, our lead team, and they're not going to tell you to go away. They're going to embrace you, invite you in to maybe what God is speaking and saying to us. And all, ultimately, all of this should be done in love. Paul starts with love. Do this, eagerly desire it, but do this out of love. And so we want to create a space where, obviously, we walk through the scriptures pretty intensely. You can blame your preacher uh, pastor for that. Um, we take time to, to really slow down and look at what this means in our cultural moment, but we want to be open to this. But I'll just say this. When stuff is done in humility, it's just the best. So for years, there was a guy in this community who would often come to me, and he would often just have like a word, a pr again, a prompting. Sometimes he had dreams, honestly, and he'd come to me, and he would always preface with, this could be the pizza and wings from last night, and it could not. And honestly, because he set the stage like that, it was just so refreshing. And it, most of the time, because he wasn't trying to force something, it wasn't like a, hey, thus says the Lord, buddy, here's what you need to do. It was very, it was done in all humility. Like, I could be right, I could be, this could be right for you, or maybe this isn't the season for you, and I'm completely off base. And every single time, because he prefaced like that, with these promptings and with these, sometimes these visions and dreams, it was all, it seemed to me always just to be bang on. And I think part of that is because it was his own humility to say, I'm not out here to like try and change the world or speak into everybody's life, but could this be where you're at? Is this what God is doing in your life? And many times he spoke over me things that just drew me into my future in God, and it was beautiful. And that's something I want, or we want in this community. Not done obviously in an abusive way, but what if we could walk in humility? You with me, brothers and sisters? So, Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, as we talk about the spirit stuff, Paul is kind of very clear. Um, tongues are a thing, but not the main thing. It's better to speak intelligibly in a gathering and bring clarity 
and just be aware of if, if tongues happen in the gathering that it needs to be interpreted because if not, it's kind of just gibberish. It doesn't, it doesn't build the community up. Paul says prophesy. That's not like us all of a sudden becoming Old Testament prophets where every word of ours is divine. Let's put it through the challenging and the testing. And my, my, again, my prayer is, is that not just for myself, but for you. And as, again, as we begin to regather and reimagine what God is drawing us into as a community is we would love him to speak through you specifically for our community. And sometimes that will come to the front if it's a word that is discerned for all of us. And sometimes maybe God will just put promptings in your, we're the church people, we're in community together. Again, some of my best, honestly, the work that God has done in through me in this area has solely been, even today, had an opportunity to subtly, it was probably more like of a word of wisdom or encouragement or whatever, but a way in which just to share with somebody a prompting that built them up and built their life and encouraged them. Let's practice this stuff, okay? Let's do it. And my hope is, is that we just create open avenues to do this. And again, I am on a reclamation. This stuff does not need to be weird or out there.